0: God and Heavenly Father, your word is life. It is sharper than any two-edged sword and it gives to all who receive it in faith power. We desire all of these blessings now, Lord, that they would descend upon us in your grace. And we know that that is only possible by your provision and by your faithfulness in Jesus Christ and through the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. So open now our eyes by your Spirit, open our hearts and our minds, and cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. In whose name we pray, Amen. Turn with me again to Psalm one hundred and thirty-eight, page six seventeen in your pew Bible. Six seventeen is one Psalm, rather one thirty-eight. We're going to read the whole Psalm again. This time, however, our text is the last stanza the verses 7 and 8. Psalm 138, as we noted last night, it's the first of eight psalms which are uh, marked as belonging to David, the last eight of his psalms in the book of Psalms. And we're going to read these three stanzas but focus our attention on the last. Hear the word of God. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart, Before the gods I sing your praise, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me, my strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth and they shall sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. In other words of our text, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Thus, for the reading of God's holy word. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our Lord, we began last night's message. We ended the year by reflecting on how we reflect on the year that was. We looked back, and we looked back having been guided through our reflections by King David, the shepherd king. Now we're looking forward. Now we are. Seeing not what was, but what will be. And of course, as we look forward, it's a little more difficult to anticipate, to know, to pierce the, the gloom of the future. We can't really see too far into the future. We can't see to the end of today, let alone to the end of this week or month or year. We don't know what this year holds. So how do we prepare for it? How do we enter into it? in a way that is God-glorifying, in a way that will benefit us, in a way that will bless us? That's a challenging question, and it seems to me that often uh, our expectations for the year determine far more of our experience than we realize. That is, what we think this year will provide, either blessing or pain, either joy or sorrow, whatever we anticipate the year to provide will really determine our experience of the year will it be a happy year will it be a good year will it be what we expected when we get to December 31st 2024 if the Lord gives us life till then will we be able to say it was a good year or it was a challenging year the answer depends on our expectation what do we think should happen what do we think will happen naturally instinctively of course we only think in terms of good things maybe some of us are pessimistic, some of us might be a little bit down and dark. maybe we 're going through a difficult time right now, and it 's hard for us not to see how 2024 will be a difficult year. But generally and instinctively, we think things are going to go well. We think the Lord is going to bless us, the year is going to be good. That generally will go from strength to strength. and that's a lovely thing, and that's a, a good thing to hope for, surely. but it's also a dangerous thing, isn't it, when Our expectation is that the Lord will provide, and then our experience is that we must suffer. That tension between our expectation and our experience, the distance between those two things, really determines how well or how joyfully we experience 2024. The farther our expectations and our experience are from each other, the greater our frustration, the greater our discouragement, the greater our depression. So how can we enter 2024 in a way that equips and enables us to be able at the end, no matter what happens, whether it's great or difficult, whether it's blessed or burdened, how can we enter 2024 in such a way that we at the end of it can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the year that's been. Well, again, David becomes our guide. And in this final stanza, he shows us the way forward. Do remember, of course, what we saw last night, uh, that David begins this psalm with some personal thanksgiving, deliverance rooted in the commitment of his God towards him and towards his glorious name. You remember that the Lord blessed David, not because David was worthy, but because the Lord is a faithful covenant-keeping God who exalts his name in all the earth, and that exaltation of God's name included this unexpected expansion of God's plan and purpose through the incoming nations in praising God with David in the temple of the Lord. We saw the unexpected nature of that and yet how the Lord continues to do that very thing even in our day. Well now in the third stanza David returns to the personal. Now not praise so much but now future confidence and 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 though it is a personal word that David speaks here about his own experience about his own life about what he thinks the Lord will be doing for him in the future you ought to realize it's not David here as Christian but David here as Christ who speaks it is David as the prophet of the Lord speaking of God's plans and purposes in all of redemptive history So notice that as verse 7 changes the tone of this psalm. This psalm that began with praise, this psalm that expanded to see the whole world joining in with praise, now changes its tone. For in verse 7 we read, though I walk in the midst of trouble. Here's an unexpected insertion into this psalm of thanksgiving. All of a sudden, the tone of trouble is introduced, the tone of of grief and sorrow, the thing that we don't want to plan for and don't want to think about. And to be sure, David confesses in this stanza great confidence. In verse 7b, he says, you preserve my life. In verse 7a or 7d, rather, he says, your right hand delivers me. And indeed, that language of hand speaks of God's intimate involvement. It is a way, of course, of talking about God's engagement in life. It's familiar to us who know the word of God. But because of that, we might miss just how tender a word it is. Because we know, of course, that God doesn't have hands. He is a spirit. But he speaks of himself as having a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It's a hand that grabs hold of his people, that carries them in his arms, that leads and guides and protects them. It's such a lovely description of God's fatherly tenderness towards his people. We can think of how our father's hands were blessings to us as we grow and as we mature in life. Oh, sometimes they do discipline us, but so often they carry us, so often they hold us, so often they bless us. And in this way, the Lord's hand is also that intimate and powerful presence of God watching over his children, watching over his servants. Indeed, the care of the Lord is so complete. As David here says, no matter what I face, Lord, no matter what trouble I'm going to endure, I know you will deliver me out of it. I know you personally will come down and lift me from it. We might wonder what sets David apart for such rich blessing. After all, surely this is not words that every Christian can pray surely not can every christian say though i walk in the midst of trouble you preserve my life you stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me can every christian in the history of the church say that what about the martyrs who died such cruel deaths in the gardens of nero used as candles to light his dinner party What about those in our day who are suffering in the persecuted church? What about their deliverance? Where is God's hand against their enemies? This is not the universal experience of believers, is it? Indeed, is this not the unexpected element? This is the the jarring word all of a sudden inserted into an otherwise very happy psalm, into an otherwise very happy life, Here we come for 2024 to experience blessing, to be told how it's all going to work out. And yet we hear that there's to be trouble and we wonder if we're going to be able to survive it. And let's not deny that 2024 will be challenging, challenging in so very many ways. For some of us, it will mean fearful visits to a doctor's office, holding our breath as we wait for tests to come back and for a diagnosis to begin or to be given for some of us it may mean pregnancies that end with empty arms grief and sorrow that has no joy at its end for some of us it will be daily dinners filled with tension as dad and mum glare at each other or as the difficulty in the relationship crackles in the air For some of us, it will be exhaustion at having to endlessly keep working to keep the bills paid, to keep the mortgage paid. For some of us, it will be an unexpected trip to the funeral home where we have to pick out a casket, never expecting we'd have to. This is the world we live in, a world draped in the curse, a world that we chose, a world that we still choose. We should never forget that the trouble of which David here speaks, the enemies that are brought into this world, were brought into this world because we refused to stand in defense of God's good creation. He had given to his original king, Adam, the call to protect and preserve. And what had Adam done but instead embraced the enemy? Had joined in the enemy's cause in fighting against the Lord. The fact that there are troubles in this life should not surprise us. The fact that there are enemies in this life, well, that might surprise us. Because enemies implies that they're against us. Enemies implies that they're not just against God, but against his people. How can can there be enemies against God's people if God's people have chosen to fight with the enemy against God, if we're all on the same team fighting against the Lord, how can there be any enemies? We're all on the same side. Except that there must be then a division. There must be two sides. There must be those who fight against the Lord and those who fight for the Lord. There must be a people who are redeemed, a people who belong to God, a people who stand in joyful service To God. The very fact that David has enemies is a reminder that David is a unique character on the pages of scripture, a warrior for the kingdom of God, the king who stands against all those who would oppose his church. And that it is against that plan of redemption, it is that plan of God's to save for himself a people, it is against that work of salvation that all of these troubles, that all of these enemies war. That that is what we are experiencing and will experience in 2024 as we go forward into this year. We'll go forward into a year where we will be called to fight for the cause of Christ. And our enemies, the devil, the world, and even our own flesh, are not going to give us a moment's peace. They want our marriages to end. They want our grief to deepen. They want our depression and discouragement to overwhelm. They want us to say, what's the point? Where is God in all of this? But just think of the advantage that we have as believers. Think of what we know in the midst of this battle, in light of the cross of Calvary, what David knew even as he anticipated the sorrows of life. As he knew that he would have to fight the good fight of the faith. As he knew that he would have to daily put on the full armor of God and war against not flesh and blood, but against principalities and against this present darkness. He knew that the Lord was committed to him, that the Lord's hand would be there to protect and preserve him, that he fought not in his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord, and that his enemies would never overcome. The promise of the Lord was to avert all evil or turn it to David's prophet. And so David understood, even as he now prays before the Lord, as he seeks the Lord's favor, that his help and strength was more than just a beginning word at each Sunday service, a confession of dependence upon the Lord, but was a genuine and sincere truth. His only help was in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And indeed, that by virtue of his belonging to the family of God, David's future was secure. And this was the confidence that he was able to carry as he looked forward into the future, into the future that held uncertainty, that held the potential and the promise of struggle and sorrow. Indeed, these are the challenges that we also face and that the world will, in 2024, bring before us endlessly. Where is your God, they will say. What are the ways in which you are going to solve the problem of evil? And there's a number of ways in which we can answer that. We can talk about our own causing of sin, our own bringing of trouble into this life. We can talk about how the Lord uses these things to purify our dependence upon us. We can talk about how the Lord will address all of these evils in his eternal judgment one day. There's a number of answers we can give to how do we deal with the problems of 2024. But in the context of this psalm, David gives us a very joyful reason to anticipate the Lord's blessing even in the sorrows. Because David's opening stanza, you'll remember, was born out of one of these moments of trouble and of opposition. David was delivered, you remember, in verse 3 when he called upon the Lord. The Lord had saved David from trouble, from his enemies. And reflecting on that past, David now looks forward and he recalls these two truths. He carries these two truths with him as he looks into the future. He says, I know trouble will come. I know opposition will come, for I stand with the Lord. I stand in service to the king. I stand as representative of the king, and my enemies will war against me. That I know. I know I will have to fight in this future. But this he also knew, that it was in those moments that God would give David yet greater reasons for praise and thanksgiving that God would again do what had caused David to celebrate in this psalm. He would begin this cycle of praise, struggle, deliverance, and praise. David would again rejoice in the power of God's blessing. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. That's the challenge his words in verse 7 place before us as we anticipate 2024, trusting that the Lord will guide us, trusting that whatever his plans for our lives is good, but knowing that in a bruising and broken world, in a world that has animosity towards the faith, in a world that is seeking to snuff out the light of the gospel, we're going to have to fight. We're going to have to fight our own lusts, our own pride, our own greed. We're going to have to fight against those that oppose the gospel in our businesses, in our work, in our families. We're going to have to fight the struggle of sin and brokenness in our own homes, in our own relationships, even in our own bodies as we deal with cancers and various diseases. And we don't want those things. We, we say to ourselves, let me avoid those things. But the Lord says it's in those things that you discover my power to deliver, that you experience my blessing, my faithfulness. It is in those dark moments that the light of my gospel most clearly shines. It is there that you find me most tenderly. And now we have to ask ourselves at the beginning of 2024, are we eager to experience that? Are we eager to look forward into 2024 and say, Lord, show me your presence, show me your care, make me feel your hand in the midst of this year? When seen against the backdrop of our suffering, the glorious goodness of our faithful Lord shines all the brighter And as a result, we will experience greater moments of praise. We will start this psalm all over. We will dedicate our hearts anew and afresh. We will come to church to praise God, to say, The Lord, the Lord is good for His name is greatly exalted. And that's the question we have to ask. Is that our goal for 2024? Is that what you want 2024 to teach you? To teach you the praise of your God. The praise of your God in the midst of all of your opposition. In the midst of all of your struggle. But David goes on in verse 8. Not only to speak of the troubles of life. But to speak of the faithfulness of the Lord in rich ways. He says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. It is one thing, of course, to claim that the Lord will turn moments of struggle into songs of joy. But upon what basis can David make that claim? How can David know that God will indeed accomplish these things Besides simply asserting it, that's that's unfortunately what many people do today. They just assert things. I believe these things to be true. Well, that's fine and good. Why do you believe them? Well, that is more of a difficult question to answer. Not as many people today are willing to be like the wise man who dug the foundation to the rocks so that his house could stand. We are too often content with a superficial faith. We just assert things. This is true. Why is it true? Well, I think it's true. Well, that's not enough. You need to do the hard work of digging to the bedrock. And David does that work for us. Two rapid statements follow and one petition. He says, fulfill your purpose for me. And he speaks of the Lord's eternal steadfast love and then prays as Psalm 90 verse 17, that psalm that we so often read at New Year's Eve. He echoes those words, do not forsake the work of your hands. Now, what is the connection in all of this and to what precedes it in verse 7? Well, the petition, do not forsake the works of your hands, reminds us that we actually live in a world that does deserve condemnation, deserves judgment. We live in a world that is so offensive to God, that is rebelling against God that like the days of the flood, chooses to deny God's place and priority in all of life. You think of what 2024 will hold for our country and for our politicians, and ask yourself how much you expect or imagine that they will repent and lead this nation in service to Christ, in confession, and in repentance. It seems far more likely, doesn't it, that our nation will continue its march into rebellion, into immorality, into rejection of God, that it's shaking its fist in the face of God will continue apace. What should God then do to such a nation as this? What should God do to a people like Canadians? Surely it is to destroy it. Surely it is to forsake the work of his hands. But this petition says, Lord, don't. Don't forsake the work of your hands. And it claims the steadfast love of the covenant-keeping God as the reason for why the Lord should not forsake the work of his hands. The Lord who not only promises to redeem for himself a people, but promises to redeem the very world itself. The very creation that he made by the breath of his mouth. The very people, remember, it was people that God made with his hand. All of the creation was made by the word of God, but humanity was made most tenderly by the very work of God's hands. And now David says, though this people deserve judgment, though they rebel against you and they deserve your wrath, Lord, for your own steadfast love, because you are the God who keeps covenant, Do not forsake the work of your hands. Indeed, in this context, what may seem to be, or what is rather, uh, the boldest part of this psalm is revealed. For David claims the Lord's faithfulness even for himself and says, I know the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. What was the purpose of the Lord for David? Now, here's again where we might get tempted to forget that David's writing this psalm as a king. Generally speaking, interpretations of this passage focus too easily or run too quickly to the distinctive, you might say, uh, horizontal connection between David and us. God says, or David says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. You can say that too. Well, maybe you can But what is God's purpose for you? By nature, God's purpose for you is condemnation because we are born sinners, because we are rebels against the Lord. Is that the purpose that you want the Lord to fulfill for you? Probably not. But we avoid that grievous and burdensome truth when we remember the redemptive historical context for this psalm and remember that David here speaks as the representative of Christ. Christ. Indeed, there is an application for us. To be sure, there is a great comfort in these words for every one of us. But it doesn't come without condition or qualification. It comes only when we hear what the Spirit says in its context. And in this instance, the purpose of the Lord for David was wrapped up entirely in his being king. We know something, of course, of the purpose that God had for kings, as we've been studying 1 Samuel. And we know, of course, that kings were given to lead the people in righteousness. Kings were given in order to protect the people, in order to advance the kingdom of God, in order to establish eternally the plan and purpose of God on this earth. When this is remembered, then the purpose of the Lord for David is not really just for David, is it? Some private individual life track that God has planned out for him. That's not what David is here saying. What is being said here is that the Lord has a massive redemptive plan for all the earth through David. And through David's greater son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Which is to say that if we listen to this psalm in its appropriate historical context, we discover that David's words here in verse 8 have a Christocentric focus and a Christocentric basis for his great confidence in verse 7. Why does David believe that the Lord will give him reason to praise despite the reality of a broken world? Well, David knows that the Lord will fulfill his purpose through David, which purpose was to redeem this world and to establish his kingdom eternally. And the Lord is faithful to his promises. And therefore, though the world rebels against God and against David, David knows this, that no matter what the enemy throws against his people, the Lord will fulfill the purpose of redemption in their lives through Jesus Christ, and he will not forsake the work of his hand. Indeed, John 3, verse 16 is the very fulfillment of this passage. For God so loved the world, the work of his hands, that he gave his only Son. David lays hold, you might say, of Jesus Christ and says, For the sake of Christ, I know God will turn my sorrow to joy. And when we rightly understand that, when we rightly situate the words of our text in the work of the Messiah that's when we discover that they are a rich comfort for every one of us today as we look forward to 2024. The question is not, will 2024 bring you challenges? It will. The question's not even, will those challenges turn into a song of praise for you? They will. The question is only, how do you know? a question that we're tempted to answer too often apart from Christ. We say, well, because I believe that God's going to bless me. We say, because that's how I think God deals with me. And what we discover if we adopt that mentality is the challenge of a Christless Christianity, especially as the trials of life deepen and lengthen. Because when we forget Christ, as we so quickly do, then in the midst of the struggles of 2024, we may well say, okay God, I get it. You've made your point. I've learned my lesson. Enough. I can't handle anymore. I can't bear up under this anymore. Or maybe we'll say, God, what's the point? Where's the blessing? Why must my trial not get better, but worse? Why must I escape the frying pan only to end up in the fire? When we approach 2024 without a Christ-centric foundation, we will find ourselves frustrated, discouraged, depressed. We will find ourselves despairing in this coming year. But when we say, I know this beyond all else, that whatever else my body might tell me, my world might tell me, my experience of life might tell me, and they might tell me that I am not loved, they might tell me that there's no point, that there's no hope, that there is only darkness, no matter what all of life may tell me, I know this to be more true than any experience I have. That the Lord loves me in Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, the steadfast love of our Lord is forever. Not for a short time, not for a few months or days, but forever. In Christ, the purpose of God unto redemption and the fulfillment of his kingdom and purpose is fulfilled in our lives. And in Christ, the Lord will never forsake the work of His hands. That is what I know. Coming into 2024, I don't know what it will bring. I can't pierce the gloom of the future. I can't say this is what 2024 will experience. But this I know. That in Jesus Christ, my God will preserve my life in the midst of trouble. Will stretch out his hand against the wrath of my enemies and with his right hand deliver me. And not for any confidence I have in self. Certainly not for any self-righteous reason but for the infinitely great confidence that we may have in our Savior, whose death and resurrection is our guarantee of the Lord's faithfulness towards us, so that even in the deepest and darkest moments, there I can say, Lord, show me your Son. Keep your word to me and fulfill your plan. There I can lay hold most keenly onto only Jesus Christ, surrendering all else, surrendering my own wisdom, surrendering my own strength, surrendering my own plans and purposes, and laying only hold of Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, O Lord, do not forsake the work of your hands, not for my sake, O Lord, but for his. 2024 has a great deal of uncertainty about it, even as we stand at the very beginning of it. But this is not uncertain that in Jesus Christ we are preserved and protected and that we can enter therefore this year with great confidence. Not confidence in what we're going to experience but confidence in what the Lord's going to accomplish for us. That at the end of 2024 we will be able to say with David I give thanks O Lord with my whole heart before the gods I sing your praise I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. For on the day I called, you answered me, and my strength of soul you increased. Let's praise him for that in prayer. Gracious God and Father, what a comfort it is to be able to enter into an uncertainty with confidence. Confidence not in self or in the outcome. But confidence in the Savior. confident in the God who rules over heaven and earth. Confidence in the God who loves us. In Jesus Christ. Lord, this year, the enemies that we face, the devil, the world, and even our own flesh, are going to work very hard to shake our confidence. To distract our vision and to keep us from knowing this peace that passes understanding. Daily bring us back to your word. Each Lord's Day, focus our eyes upon the cross of Calvary. And each day, teach us that your presence and your power are ours. Not because of our deserving, but because of your love in Jesus Christ